I invite you to open your Bibles to John chapter 15, John 15. The summer has been uh, a, a, a good summer, a long summer, a hot summer, uh, a quick summer, all at the same time, hadn't it? Um, my agenda through the preaching ministry of summertime is to go through John chapters 14, 15, and 16, thinking about especially our union with Christ. It's a it's a sweet section of Scripture that talks about this communion that we have in the Lord, the Holy Spirit, and, and with the Father. So we've done that, but it's been a little sporadic, hasn't it? Like last Sunday, we had uh, Reverend Keith Jones with us, and as uh, was mentioned in the prayer, we'll be taking a couple weeks to go see uh, family out in Southern California. Um, it'll be hot. We're driving. So pray for mechanical stability and all that kind of thing. Um, and that we still love each other when we return. <laughs> you know, I'm sure we will. I'm sure we will. Uh, but the, So we've had uh, Gene Cooey here a month ago, and uh, then David Woolen following him. The next couple Sundays, uh, Reverend Dan Smith will be with us. And uh, he, for those of you that are longtime Grace people, you may take interest that he served under Paul Boger when Paul Boger went to Vermontville Bible from Grace. Get that? Paul Boger was at Grace, went to Vermontville. Dan Smith served under Paul Boger at Vermontville and then took the lead pastor role when Pastor Boger finally did retire uh, out there. So Dan was there 32 years, and I look forward to hearing what he has to say, two really neat topics and themes from Scripture he's going to bring. Um, a dear man. But John 15, um, after Reverend Buck's memorial service Thursday, uh, I met Gene Cooey. He had been here a few weeks ago, you know. Met him up in the Coopersville area, a little restaurant, and he was describing to me um, some trees that he's been able to reclaim. Uh, different companies going, they just take the trees down and and they could be good trees, they could be junk trees, but regardless, they generally don't do much with them except ship them out and they get turned into firewood, ultimately. Well, he caught wind that some of these trees were cherry and, um, was it oak, white oak? And he's like, we can't turn that into firewood. So he, he speaks and he's with, the, with these people, these business people, and he's able to actually go in and, and reclaim those trees he actually has a sawmill, and uh, he's going to cut them and dry them and take a few years for them to dry and turn them into beautiful pieces, right? Oak, cherry, neat. Um, reclaiming trees that otherwise would be up in smoke, you know, in reality. Uh, he was describing one particular section, uh, I think this is from another load or tree that he had, of... Uh, 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 a, a Y section uh, uh, that had really unique, when, they, when he cut it open sideways, just the way the grains interconnect with one another, he said, it's just amazing. He said, I wish I could show you. I said, I wish you could too. Um, I, I can only imagine, you know, the, the beauty of the grain that would be in there as a tree grows like that. And um, not only that, but there's spalting and burling 
all those things happen inside wood. And some of those things that come out really beautiful and we polish and sand and polish and make really good, and they are beautiful, but some of those things are the result of, of um, rot, decay, or even bugs uh, that have gotten in there, or fungus and disease. And, uh, but when you cut it and slice it open, it's just this beautiful, uh, can I say, matrix of fibers that are together, and it's a display of, well, God's creation, the stewardship uh, that we have for that is, is truly amazing. I go into all this because we're talking about the vine in chapter 15. As Mr. Meadema read for us this passage, we realize that uh, Jesus is the vine, we are the branches, and we're to be engrafted into him. And uh, I described that, that Y shape, the crotch of a tree. Well, that's where we're engrafted in, and the beauty that comes from uh, that joining, that union with Christ who is the vine. This is a beautiful passage, and, and one very intricate. As we've gone through, we've noticed that Jesus, as he teaches, he kind of goes in, I won't say in circles, that, that would maybe communicate the wrong idea, but he does cycle around and repeats the themes again and again as we go through. And it makes it extremely difficult to actually go linear through the passage. Uh, we, we attempt to do that, but I think what I'll do better this time is to summarize some of the things that are going on thematically throughout the 17 verses of John 15. And um, be prepared, it does, does end up in several lists. And I have the list here for you, but I hopefully, and this was the prayer before uh, service began, um, is, is that we can turn it not just from a, a survey of the chapter, but we can get into, you know, what does it mean to be united with Christ? Uh, this, this is beautiful, and Jesus in John chapter 14, verse 31, has said, rise, let us go from here. So they'd been in the upper room. Jesus had been teaching. They'd enjoyed the Last Supper as he had prepared for them. Uh, Judas had been let go, and, uh, and John actually in his gospel says, and it was dark, it was night, it was black. Satan had entered Judas, and even at the end of the discourse in John chapter 14, Jesus says, the ruler of this earth is coming for me, indicating that Satan had entered into Judas and was coming uh, to that meeting place, and Jesus is saying to his disciples, I need to get to the garden, and I can't be late because my enemy's going to be there. Imagine, he just goes right into the fray for you, for me, for his people. He goes right into the mix. And he, he says, um, he has no claim on me. Verse 30. I'm doing this because of my father, not because of the enemy. And he goes on, and we, we can only surmise how this is going, because in our, in our Bibles, there's really no real break between chapter 14 and 15. Jesus keeps on talking, just keeps on speaking. So what I envision is that from that setting around the table, Jesus gets up, he begins leading the way out of the upper room, and the, the site of the traditional upper room is not very far away from the entrance of the temple, and, and in those ancient days on the entrance of the temple was this, this beautiful golden work, and it was a golden vine. It was a, a national symbol of Israel, who is the vine come out of Egypt, 
a number of Old Testament passages referring to that and just ornate this vine. And I imagine Jesus leaving the the upper room, going out into the, the city area and walking by the temple and says, I'm the real vine. And that, the word true is, is here. Um, I am the true vine, but it has this idea of reality. I'm the real vine. And this is, this is where we find our truth. And earlier in chapter 14, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And this, this is the last of the seven I am statements John has presented throughout the gospel. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and life. And now finally, I am the vine. And this one he repeats twice within this section. Verse 1 and verse 5. I am the vine. I am reality. I am truth. I am the vine. So we come to this, and I think, if you're like me, we're, we're looking at this passage about fruit-bearing. Fruit-bearing will bear fruit. And, and it is there quite a bit. It's there eight times, this idea of fruit, either bearing fruit or not bearing fruit. But even more than that, 11 times, is this idea of abiding, abiding in Christ, remaining in Christ, dwelling in Christ. The text has more to do with abiding in Christ, and the secondary result is the fruitfulness that will come. So our sight needs to be like those disciples who Jesus walking past the temple says, I'm the real vine, and they look up to the temple and, and then they look to Jesus. That's what we need to be looking at in the passage at Jesus. When we begin to focus too much on fruitfulness, where's it, where are we looking? at ourselves, at ourselves, or someone else. Fruit inspectors, right? And that's not all wrong. I don't mean it's all wrong. We, we need to be discerning and evaluative, but we begin, first of all, by remaining in Christ, abiding in Christ, remaining united with Christ. And the other stuff will figure itself out. One commentator says, what root and trunk are to trees, Jesus is to human life. And the disciple senses that being in touch with the core of reality is being in touch with Jesus. Or perhaps because of the way our minds work, we'd say it the other way. To be in touch with Jesus is to be in touch with the core of reality. He's the real vine. Well, he is the great I am. And he says here, I am the vine. Twice, right? Verse 1, I am the vine, the true vine. Again in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. This idea of, of Christ being the vine, we, we are completely dependent upon him. Verse 5 tells us very clearly that apart from me, you can do nothing. 
He is the vine. He is the source of reality. He's the source of life. And if we're not connected in him, then we do not have life. And we don't have reality. It's all virtual. Well, who is Jesus? What's he done? If, if apart from him I can do nothing, what has he done? Well, right in this passage we have this, this list. In verse 9, he's the one who loved. Verse 10, he, he's obeyed the word of his Father. Verses 4, 5, and 10, it's Jesus who abides in the Father and abides in us. He's the abider. It is he who spoke. Verse 3, 11, 15, 17. His words. He's revealed the Father to us. He's laid down his life for his friends. Verse 13. And he's called us friends. Verse 15. Isn't that a unique title? A unique identifier? This is who you are in Christ. His friend. He is indeed our master. He is indeed our Lord. But he's called us friends. You know, this, this brings me back to, I, I think, the first one who's ever called the friend of God. In Genesis 17, 18, somewhere in there, Abraham. And, and, and the angel of the Lord, I think, probably the Lord, appearing to Abraham with a couple other angels, and, he, and the Lord is revealing his plans to Abraham. He says, should I, should I tell Abraham what I'm going to do? And the two angels, yeah, go ahead. And he tells, he shares with Abraham his plan and his purpose. That's, that's a friend of God. And Jesus here in John 15 is telling his disciples his plan, his purpose, his promise. He's letting them in on the conversation. He's letting them in on the plan. There's friends. And by extension, he's let us in on the plan. He's called you, who belong to him, a friend. He's chosen and appointed his disciples, verse 16. He's called them for a purpose. And part of that is to bear fruit, which we'll come to in a moment. This is our vine. This is where, as we were in Hebrews, early uh, 2022 and into the spring, where are we to fix our eyes? On the author and the perfecter of our faith. On Jesus. Looking to now, the vine, keep our eyes on him. Well, he is the vine, and this is what he's accomplished. He goes on to say that my father is the vine dresser or the gardener. The work of God the Father is one of a gardener. He, yes, cuts off and he cuts back. He prunes and purifies. He casts away and he cleanses. 
Our Father is the vine dresser. And verse 13, actually, we translate it differently. Already you are clean. And so something has already occurred to the disciples. They already have been pruned. They've already been cut back. They've already been cleaned. It's exactly the same word there in verse 3 that we translate clean. It's katharizo. Maybe in that you can hear some medical term. Catharsis. Cathartic. Cauterize. It's in that word, katharizo. To cleanse. To, to prune. To cut back. And he says, I've already done this. Well, it's the exact same word that he, that he uses when he talks about washing the disciples' feet. I have cleansed your feet. I have washed your feet. I have cauterized your feet. In fact, not only your feet, all of you. You've already had a bath, he says to Peter. You have been washed by the word of Christ. It's the word the teaching of Jesus that cleanses, that prunes. And when you come to faith in Christ, then he, he speaks of that as an accomplished fact. But it has continuing reality, doesn't it? God the Father uses the teaching of Christ to clean, to cut back, to prune, to purify. Now, the hard part is we see this cut off and cast away. And yes, that is the same word too. It's the same word used when Jesus speaks of Judas. John chapter 13 and verse 10. He makes a distinction between the believing disciples and the one who would betray him. And that one is to be cut off, cauterized, removed from the pure disciples, the believing disciples. Oh, I know these languages, these words are important, to, but you see the, the artistry that Jesus has in speaking and a lot of the puns that are involved in his teaching. Uh, Jesus had a sense of humor. Now, in one sense, this is no laughing matter, but he uses irony and he uses puns and he uses humor in ways to communicate his, his truth in pointed ways, poignant ways. Now, the Father is the vine dresser. Jesus is the vine. And these are realities but verse 5 also goes on to say, you are the branches. Abide in me. Abide in me. How do we do that? How do we abide? You know these, the old songs, constantly abiding, abiding with thee, abiding with thee. How is it that we abide? I suppose there's more to it than if we went through the whole of John's gospel. For example, Jesus does say to the disciples, eat of me. I mean, that's, and he uses this word dwelling, indwelling with one another. So even that is an example, I suppose, of, of this. But right in our passage here, 
in this little setting of teaching as Jesus is walking with his disciples down the Kidron Valley and up the other side uh, to the Mount of Olives in the garden that would be there, he's, he's saying, you are the branches. Now, important to note, we are not commanded to bear fruit. Not in this passage. We're not commanded to bear fruit. But we are instructed to abide, to remain in Christ. Well, how do we do this? Verse, several verses here that, that help us understand. Um, it, it, it's, it's union with Christ. Uh, Miles Stanford, um, an interesting fellow in some ways, he wrote a little book called The Complete Green Letters. It's on discipleship. And here's one little quote from his book. Our part is not production, but reception of our life in Christ. And by union with Christ, we partake of that spiritual life that he took possession of for us at his resurrection. And thereby, we are enabled to bring forth the fruits of it. It is Christ who's accomplished this. We abide in him through the living word. Our beginning was by the word. We were cleansed by the word, purified by the word, pruned by the word. And so we abide in Christ by the word. He would say in another place, my word is truth. Another place say, my word is life. The word of Christ is indeed the conduit of life and of fruit. And, and we'll never come into the knowledge of all that we have of spiritual possessions through a superficial understanding of the Word. If we want to know Christ, if we want to know all that we are in Christ, we need to go deep into the Word, dwelling there with Christ in His Word. Yeah. Jesus says in John chapter 8, same gospel, John chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What, what is one of the litmus tests of a disciple? They dwell in the word of Christ. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Now, he doesn't say that we have to do a certain amount of Bible reading every day in order to become a disciple. No. What he says is, this is what my disciples look like. Those who are my disciples are those who dwell and abide in my word. And this is both the fruit and the means by which we abide. We dwell with Christ. Well, it's not just being hearers of the word, but doers. 
There is dwelling with Christ in the living word, but also abiding through loving obedience. Uh, over and again, verse, verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Verses 12 and following. This is my commandment, that you love one another. Verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you to do. And verse 17, these things I command you, that you will love one another. I, 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 I think in our sophisticated Western society, we have a hard time melding these ideas of love and command. We have a, a great Lord, a master, a king, a sovereign, the one who made us, the one who redeemed us. He is high and almighty, lifted up, sovereign, supreme, glorious, mighty, and majestic. And he loves. He loves. Yes, as the sovereign, he commands. But he commands in love, with love, for love. And the more we get to know him as we abide with Christ in the word, we are overwhelmed by his sovereign love. They're not exclusive of one another but perfectly united together and manifested for us in Christ. Love does manifest itself then in our response to his love in wanting to bring him pleasure. We abide in Christ when we yield to him, when we want to live a life that pleases him and the emphasis is on want and desire because we won't do it perfectly but remember the list of all that Christ has done. Christ has obeyed the word of the Father. He has done it, and we abide in Him. And as we abide in Christ, who abides in the Father, it's the obedience of Christ then that He shares with us, is accounted to us. And what He's emphasizing here is the desire, the longing to bring Him pleasure. So we can relax a little bit when we do blow it and fail. Not that, we, not that we do that on purpose. Not that we presume upon the grace of God. But we can relax that we're forgiven by, yes, a sovereign God, but a God who loves. Our love is an echo. Jesus says, love as I have loved you. Our love is an echo, a reflection of Christ's love. These two, the living word and loving obedience, are the means by which we abide in Christ. Now I know that we run the risk in saying this as being contrived, as, as being, okay, we've heard that again, read the Bible more and obey more. 
That's not what Jesus is intending to communicate. It's not what I'm intending to communicate. But we're so conditioned by our productivity in the Western culture that that's how we take it, I'm afraid. Jesus is saying, this is, this is what one who loves me looks like. Children who love their parents want to bring pleasure to the parents, not just forced to, but desire to bring pleasure to their parents. Want to have that conversation with mom and dad. To hear their voice, for their voice to be heard. It's a loving relationship. And this we see in, in the natural realm of a family, and we see in the spiritual realm of the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, with His people. We are the branches and we abide. These are the means by which we dwell with Christ and Christ then flows through us. His living, his living sap flowing through us, producing fruit. What does that look like? What, is the, what are the results of abiding? We're still talking about abiding more than we are the fruit. What are the results of abiding? Well, here, it does produce fruit. Abundant fruitfulness. Every branch of mine that doesn't bear fruit, he takes away. But the branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, he cuts back so that it would bear even more fruit. Verse 7. Uh, is that right? Abide in me, my words abide in you, and ask whatever will be done. That's not the right verse. Verse 8. The Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. Bear much fruit. Verse 16. I've appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit would last, would abide. Notice he says... There is this approval, this, this proving in verse 8. You bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Yes, there, there is a fruit. What, what might this fruit be? Well, there's debate. Is it, is it simply like John chapter 4? The fields are ripe unto harvest. Is it, is it only missional? Is it only evangelical work? Is it only gospel work and we're seeing disciples are made and people come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior? Well, it makes sense within John's gospel. But I don't think we have to choose either or. Paul, I know a different author, uh, but still the Bible, he talks about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. That has to do with our, our character that's being transformed. We, we do come as we are to this gathering, but we never leave the same. Well, you may not necessarily see the difference on the outside right away, 
But we are being shaped and formed by the word of God into the character and the nature of Christ. Our ethic, our moral, our desires, our attitudes. And so Paul identifies this as the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, how in the world do you untangle all those? Well, you really can't. It's like the gopper stopper. I mean, all those flavors mixed together in one. It's the fruit of the Spirit. This is what it looks like. So this fruitfulness is going to look like your continuing change. Growing, becoming godly, holy, more like Jesus. And as we pull together and work together, our hope is that we would see men and women and boys and girls come to know Jesus as their Savior, the fruit of our labor. Maybe a briefer summary even is in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 9. The fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. What does fruit look like in your life? Goodness, rightness, truth. What does it look like in someone else? Goodness, rightness, truth. The fruit of light. Well, there is indeed a proven discipleship in verse 8. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Again, this is about our assurance and this is about our testimony. The word, my, the English translation here says prove, but does anyone have like the New King James or maybe even the authorized, the KJV, verse 8? I know now we're getting our devices out. I know what it says. I just would like you to find it for me. Verse 8, New King James, King James. Okay, this has taken too long. We need to do something on, but Bev. So you will be my disciples. And the will isn't even in the original. It's, it's the be verb. Are. You are my disciple. You, you become my disciple. It's the word ginomai. I know that doesn't mean anything. It, it's, it's a being verb. It's not, it's not I gotta prove myself. No. Now, I'm not saying that they necessarily translated wrongly. But what's the proof in the pudding is the, more the idea. I'm not out that I have to prove myself to God or prove myself to you or prove myself to the church. But when I bring God glory and when there is fruit in my life, it's evidence that I belong to Him, that I'm united to Christ. So when I, I bear much fruit, 
And you know, the good fruit takes a while to grow. You know, the quick stuff that, that gets gigantic and put in the grocery stores and shipped in overnight, you know, the taste? Mm-hmm. But the ones that, that you've nurtured and grown day after day, week after week, watered in these hot days, oh, not too much. But you pull that one ripened on the vine and the taste is there. You know, it's, it's not quick. It's not easy. But when I bring glory to God by life transformation, degree by degree, becoming more like Him, there's evidence. There's evidence. Now, to some degree, this is why we need one another. Because there are times, to be honest with you, that I meet with some of our guys, like Jim uh, and Dave Chin in particular, and there are times like, I don't see it in my life. I see it in theirs. I don't see it. I'm, I'm caught in the middle of all the stuff going on. And I, I need perspective. And they can help me see what I can't see. We, we need one another not to be judgmental and critical, but yeah, discerning, challenging, encouraging, helping. Yeah, Todd, there, there is just the, the slightest little hint of some good flavor there. Uh, just, just a little measure of self-control when you walk by the donut thing, but I make it by once, and the second time I'm in trouble. But, but it's the Lord's day. It's a feast day, right? You know? fruits of the Spirit. And I, I say that, you know, it's kind of a standing thing with us, but it's not only about the big areas of, of morality and ethics. It's about your character, the nature, who you are. Is there self-control in all the dimensions of your life? And as we become more like Christ, bearing the fruit and bringing glory to God, all those areas of life are affected for good and truth and rightness. Proven discipleship. God glorified. Um, we, we'll move quickly through this list. Joy to the full. Verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy would be in you and that your joy may be full. We've talked about this just briefly when we were going through, I think it was uh, Nehemiah. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And here we get the same kind of teaching. Whose joy is it? You can preach at me. Yeah, God, Jesus my joy in you. That my joy would be in you. Jesus rejoices in you. Jesus rejoices over you. Zechariah 3.16. Is this not encouragement that we need? We get, we get beleaguered, battered, we, oh man, I blew it again. 
patience, <clears throat> then it, and even then, I'm not patient with myself. You see? It says here that I've told you I rejoice in you. I find joy in you. I have pleasure in you. I made you. I've saved you. I'm making you. I love you. And you are my joy, the Lord says to His beloved. When, when I would ever finally come to realize His joy and pleasure in me, the way I am and the way He's making me to be, then I will have joy to the full. Because it's His overflowing in me and, and His pleasure elicits pleasure. Joy to the full. Oh, answered prayer. I wasn't exactly sure if that was the best way to word it, but it's what came out. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Verse 16. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, fruit that would last. And whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. This is rep repeated from chapter 14. And verse 14. I think it's something like five times Jesus repeats this teaching, and, and this is to the disciples who were with him, these 11. We probably need to be reminded too. Ask, he says. Prayer is not only getting answers, but prayer is a, a vital communion with Christ. And chapter 17 is a great model for how we ought to pray. This is how Jesus prayed. In Matthew chapter 6, he taught the disciples how to pray. That fills in every single prayer request you could ever have. In those summaries, pray the word. Two commentators. The petitions of true disciples are echoes of Christ's words. As he has spoken, so they speak. Their prayer is not only some fragment of his teaching transformed, I'm sorry, their prayer is only a fragment of his teaching transformed into a supplication. And since it's his word, it will be heard. The words of Jesus, meditatively considered, become the source of true prayers. Our brother prayed earlier in the service and it was saturated with God's word, the scriptures. He prayed God's words for us and over us. But it's not just, again, about getting the answers. It's, it's about communion conversation with God. This will translate then into 
uh, love for one another. A longer section, verses 9 to 13, but it repeats that simpler section in John chapter 13. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. When we abide in Christ, it'll look like love. Jesus is the paradigm of love. Love as I have loved you. Greater love has no one this, that he'd give his life for his friends. I've called you friends. Talk about heroics. Jesus is the paradigm. How do we love? We love unto the death. We, we love to self-sacrifice for the good of another, for our brothers, our sisters. Jesus is not only the paradigm for love, Jesus is the motivation for love. Because he loved us, we love him and everything that's his. His people, too. He's our paradigm, he's our motivation, and he is the source. He is love. He doesn't just have love, doesn't just give love. He is love. It is the character and the nature of God. Love. And what's it look like? Giving. We know this, John 3, 16. God loved the world so that. God loved the world in such a way. That's what it really means. God loved the world in such a way that he gave his only begotten son. He gives. And he sacrifices. It's his character. And the more we become like him, the more we love. Implied in this, is it not fascinating, verse 16, I chose you and I appointed you that you should go. Again, the, the verb is not emphatic on the bearing fruit, even in this verse, but on the going. I've called you to go. To go. Like uh, the discourse in chapter 13, love for the church, love for one another, manifests itself in a testimony to the neighborhood. Remember how he said it in John 13? Love one another. They will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. Our love for one another is a primary means of testimony of the grace of God and the love of God to our neighborhood. Mm. Genuine fellowship will testify to the nature of God who is love. Now, I, how, oh, look at the time. We need to learn and figure out as Grace Bible Church in the year 2022 how to love one another so that we can be a good neighbor 
right around here. You know, for, for decades, we never had to really think about it. Never really had to worry about it. People would move to Granville, and, and we were such a churched community that everybody who came was looking for a church to go to. Not anymore. No longer is that on the list at all. So we need to learn how to love one another and so bring testimony overflowing from this place, exuding the love of God. And the neighborhood is saying, look at how they love one another. I wonder how. Where do they get that kind of thing? And it's an attraction. It's a draw. How do we do that now? Oh, we've done good things, and I, I don't mean to say we haven't, but we need to continue to pray that what we have would bear fruit. Tremendous response to the five-day clubs. Great response from our hospitality on 4th of July. Those are great ex ways to express love to our neighborhood. But as we love one another, all that will take care of itself. It'll overflow. Can you imagine loving one another so much it gushes into the streets of Granville? That's the picture. Going. Well, I hope we got to some application and it wasn't just survey of the chapter. But keep praying for me that way. Shall we pray? Oh, yeah, I'll pray. No, yes, I'll pray. When in doubt, always pray. Lord, we thank you for the word, and it's been quite a journey uh, in these verses, uh, winding our way around the vineyard uh, and looking at all the different clusters uh, that are there, the intricacies of the vine. We want to see Christ. Now, Lord, as we process all of this, may your Holy Spirit bring application to our minds, our hearts, our will. And Lord, in all of this, would we, would we recognize our complete and utter dependence upon Christ, who is our life? God, open our eyes to see this. Christ, who is our life. We depend upon you and you alone. Amen.